everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 76 of the show, not 1776. Oh no, that is a musical uh, about the um, signing of the Declaration of Independence, but episode 76. Episode 76. Which has much Uh, less singing, although we will not guarantee no singing. And I think a slightly more redeemable episode than the last two we've done, but... Okay, so yeah, the last two were kind of hard to get through, right? They were a little hard in terms of the content. I think this one's a little better, maybe... Well, we're starting we'll out in a see. good place. We're starting out in a good place. We're starting out with Amazing Spider-Man number 21, and I get to do it. Woohoo! Um, it's called Where Flies the Beetle, guest starring the Human Torch, another Mighty Marvel – I'm sorry, another Mighty Milestone in this, the Marvel Age of Comics. They're really claiming that now, I guess. Yes, uh, it's not the Golden Age. It's the Marvel Age. It's the Marvel Age now. Deliriously written by Stan Lee – Wow, deliciously written by Stan Lee, deliriously illustrated by Steve Ditko, delightfully lettered by Sam Rosen. And let's see, it starts out with a very um, Strange Tales uh, intro, which is that the Beatle, who came from Strange Tales, is let out of prison. So that old chestnut. And Johnny finds out, oh, they let him keep his outfit too, because apparently it's not illegal to have a lethal Beatle armor weapon thing. Because, you know, it's not a gun, I guess. So keep it. Um, anyway, Johnny finds out he's hanging out with uh, 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 what's her face, Dory, Dory Evans. Dor- Dory Evans, yeah. And um, he doesn't like it, uh, and so he goes off his human torch to go looking for him. Spider-Man, meanwhile, is swinging around. Everybody's loving on the human torch, which kind of makes Spider-Man feel all hurt because nobody ever loves on Spider-Man. He can't find the beetle, so he goes home, and Dory complains like old school Dory. Like, she's sick of him being the Human Torch all the time. She's sick of him interrupting. They were on a date when he flew off. So, sick of that. And she's like, I bet you for, you know, 24 hours or something, you can't be just Johnny. And he's like, well, yes, I can. So, he does. But little does he know that the Beatle actually followed him home because he was watching Johnny do all those shenanigans in front of the crowd to make them all happy and stuff. So, now the Beatle knows where he lives. Um, But then we cut to Dory – like, I don't know what his plan is. He's just going to, like, lay around and wait for no reason, I guess. But we cut the Dory well, shot. He, he, pro- he promised for 24 hours to not be the torch. No, I know. But what's so the just- Beetle? The Beetle's just sitting there at his house, but he has, like, this plan. But the plan is to basically sit at his house and do nothing, even though they're at home. So I don't really know. Anyway, uh, Dory goes shopping. She gets hit by some pedestrian and all her stuff gets dropped. But good old Peter Parker's there and he helps her pick up her boxes. She's like super smitten with him or at least loves that he's what a gentleman he is and not a hothead like Johnny. Uh, she leaves but leaves behind her wallet. So he looks up her address and decides to deliver it personally. She lets him in. She gives him a drink. Um, the whole time thinking like, wow, how not Johnny this Peter Parker is. Uh, anyway, Peter leaves just as Johnny's pulling up. He sees that some boy is coming out of his girlfriend's house and asks about it. And she's like, this is my opportunity to make him 1964 jealous. So she talks all about how great Peter Parker is, which makes him jealous. So he goes off and he finds Peter Parker. He puts on his human torch uniform just to be impressive. And he confronts Peter in front of Betty and says, don't you be hitting on my girl. This totally collapses Betty because, as we know, she can't handle. Um, That annoys Peter. He, of course, isn't impressed by Mr. Fantastic Four Human Torch because he's secretly Spider-Man. So he rips 
uh, Johnny a new one. That kind of impresses all his classmates, except for Flash, who points out that, well, the Human Torch probably just doesn't want to kill Peter Parker, so he's just putting up with it, you know? But he could totally beat him if he had to. Um, and Johnny feels like an idiot and walks away. Sp- or Peter Parker's upset because Betty won't talk to him. So then he puts on the uh, Spider-Man outfit and he decides to go confront Johnny, I guess. And meanwhile, the Beatles still there concocting his plan of doing nothing when Spider-Man shows up and he's like, oh, no, the spider person's going to get in my way. So I'll attack him. And he's so easy to beat. I'm just going to throw him into a tree. Shouldn't be a problem. But, of course, it's Spider-Man and it's totally a problem. And they get in this big, huge fight. And Dory sees it out the window and she calls Johnny and she's like, you know, come save me. He's like, oh, no. I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to get me to break this 24-hour thing. I'm not going to fall for it, lady. And he hangs up on her (laughs) just as Spider-Man and the Beetle crash through her house. And now they're really fighting. And then at one point, the Beetle, who decides that Spider-Man's way harder than he thought to beat, uh, takes Dory as a hostage and flies away. Um, So Spider-Man goes after, trying to chase after Meanwhile, Johnny goes to Dory's house because he's like, hey, I pretty much won this bet, so let's go get some kissing. And he shows up, and the place is trashed from the fight. So now he's like, oh, I guess I should have believed her. Turns to Human Torch, flies up into the sky, sees Spider-Man. Oh, he found webs all over the apartment, too. So now he thinks Spider-Man has something to do with it. Um, He sees Spider-Man chasing after the beetle. He doesn't see the beetle, though. He just sees Spider-Man. And, of course, hothead that he is, he starts attacking him. And, of course, Spider-Man, since he kind of hates Human Torch, doesn't really try and explain himself that much. And they fight back. They get into a big old fight. At some point, Spider-Man manages to kind of, like, you know, web him just enough so he can get away. And then he uh, leads the Human Torch to the beetle, at which point the Human Torch sees that the beetle has Dory. And it's like, oh, Spider-Man, you're the good guy in this scenario. Sorry. The two of them go after the beetle, and since it's just the beetle, they pretty much beat him. At some point, the both of them just, like, kick him on both sides of his head, and then Spider-Man uh, twips him down, and the Human Torch puts a flame shield on him. Um, and then Spider-Man is just kind of, like, going through this weird crisis problem all of a sudden. Like, nobody likes him, and Betty doesn't like him, and J. Jonah Jameson doesn't like him, and Human Torch has all this popularity, and everybody loves him, and he's got the girlfriend. And anyway, he has this crazy internal struggle that he doesn't say out loud, and then so he just jumps up and leaves, and Dory and Human Torch are kind of like, what do we make of that guy? And they're both kind of like, I'm not really sure. He's a little... I don't know. He's either a cool hero or just a weirdo. I haven't figured it out. And then it kind of cuts to Spider-Man doing his best sad cat pose on the last panel. And it's the end. Yeah. Yeah. Why must I be a costumed, super-powered sad sack? Yes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Why am I so loathed? Right. Um, You nailed it on the head, which I hadn't thought about. I mean, I I thought about how this is like borrowing plot ideas from Strange Tales, like bring the beetle and the torch combat into this story. Mm -hmm. But the opening page... Those first four panels before he switched to Spider-Man feels exactly like a Strange Tales comic. Yeah, I was trying to remember. I think there literally was. It was the eel, right? Where they let him out early. Yeah, and, there's no there's no law against a man wearing a costume. Right. And the Human Torch is like, oh, he's still a bad guy. And everybody's like, no, he's reformed. You can't attack him. Right. So, he served his yeah. time. Yep. Same with the Beetle now. That's just like their right. thing. These guys served like three whole months for trying to destroy the world. But... Um, <laughs> I was uh, posting about this on Twitter, 
And Eric R. Wilson said, if you look closely, you can see the exact moment that Spider-Man steals the beetle from the Torch's rogues gallery. <laughs> yeah. Because from this point on, I mean, the beetle is basically a Torch, ba- a, oh. a Spider-Man bad guy. Yes, exactly. I always thought he was. I never realized he wasn't. So Right. Because there's that Deadly Foes story whenever we were young, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and um, he's, he's like, you know, he's an animal and Spider-Man foes are always animals. You know, that's true. the beetle or whatever. Not that they're animals. You know what I mean? Anyway. I still kind of hate this early design. He's got those big and bulky metal wings. I have no idea how he's supposed to stay in the air. Um, But, you know, we ignore it because it's comics. They do say he's slow because it's clunky. Um, But, yeah, I don't love it. I don't love the fabric outfit. I don't love the weird terrestrial three-finger thing he's got going on. That is weird. Like, at some point, he just looks like a cooler, more bug Iron Man kind of character. Yeah, I was trying to figure out when that happens, and I think it's a long-ass time down the road. <laughs> yeah. He is this beetle for a really long time. So is it weird that we get more Dory and Johnny in here than we've got in Strange Tales in a really long time? It's a little bit weird, and I kind of understand now why some of the uh, general understandings of Dory out there are the way they are. Um, because she's always on his case in the Spider-Man stories about whether or not he should be the Human Torch. Now, it's in the context of his being a Torch is interrupting their personal life, and he's kind yeah. of showing off and being a hothead, but still. Yeah, but I just thought it was kind of neat. It kind of harkened back to her original appearances when she was, you know, not liking him as a superhero, but just liked him as a person. Right. And now she's doing that again, so... I really cool. like, the, yeah, the, the opening scene has that contrast between Spider-Man and the Torch and how the public sees them both. Mm-hmm. I really like it. It seems like whenever these two show up in the same boat, they always try to emphasize the difference between them. Yeah, and Spidey really hates it. He does. Which is kind of cool. I like I like like the idea that, you know, he's a teenager, so of course he wants acceptance and he wants to be maybe popular doing the stuff he does, but it never seems to work out for him for various reasons. Um... Peter and uh, Dory meet and he gets her address and takes her wallet to her house. Um, And she invites him in for a glass of Coke. And I feel like I kind of want to live in a world where a glass of Coke is something special. But I feel like (laughs) it's not anymore. No, I I, I feel like the cost would be too high. Yeah. Now it's just poured in everybody's cereal. But back then it was like a thing. Don't tell me you put Coke in your cereal. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't. It's just so common now. It's like, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's funny how much she thinks he's what a gentleman and stuff he is. And the whole time I kept thinking, yeah, why don't you ask Betty? See what you think. Well, and once again, it's another woman playing the jealousy game. She's going to spend time with Peter to, or or she's going to mention Peter to Johnny to like make him jealous of her. Uh huh. It's just who does this? Okay, point of continuity. Um, Peter Parker runs into Dory, does not recognize her, grabs her wallet, looks up her address, and takes it to her. And so this feels very much like the first meeting between Peter and Dory, and it pretty much is. Mm -hmm. However, Peter has at least seen Dory in passing before. Remember when he crashed that party in Amazing Spider-Man 8? I was- The back- Yeah. It was that backup story, right? I was thinking about that while reading this and trying to remember- what you said about it and thinking it was must be this story you were talking about. Right. So since it's his first meeting with Dory here, people have tried to say, they've tried to like play with the chronology and say, well, that story from issue eight can't work 
because he's never met Dory before. And so if he's, if he has Dory in issue eight, he meets her for the first time here, that would have to get shunted behind this one in continuity. And my own personal opinion uh-huh. is that that's, uh, really unnecessary. Um, it's as off, Spider-Man. It's awfully far back. It's awfully far back. Yeah. And to like shunt it like so far in the future, obviously the writers didn't mean for that to happen. So you're, you're trying to fix a supposed error in the storyline, but like Spider-Man crashing Dory's party versus Peter Parker running into a girl and picking up her wallet and finding her address. And like, I don't feel like those are incompatible, especially when there's a jump of time between them. Like there's, there's like weeks or months apart between these two. Right. So but, anyways. Yeah. So the, pretty much the only thing is missing is that if he had a, a thought bubble that said he'd been there before or something, it would yeah, work. Yeah. Or like, oh, I know this place. That must be Dory. And like, you know, realizes that he's been there before. That would clinch the deal. But he doesn't have to have that. Right. Um. Okay. I wrote down page seven. Oh, the bit with Peter and Johnny over Betty. I love that. Johnny and Betty? The, where Peter yells at Johnny. Oh, about, yeah. About, cause he, cause Johnny comes and yells at Peter about Dory and Betty gets upset. And Peter is like, Peter and Betty are on their last legs, right? And uh-huh. he's just had Ned Leeds show up and Ned Leeds is off to Europe. He's trying to salvage what might still exist with his girlfriend. Johnny comes in all hot, you know, hot headed and yelling at him. And Peter's like, you brainless, swell headed, loud mouth jerk. And I just love it. It's, what this is another aspect though of this comic that does seem a little time placed incorrectly because why are they dating again? You know, like they hadn't been kind of, but with the Ned Leeds and all that, it seems like this is backtracking a little bit. Yeah, um, I mean Ned's is, Ned Leeds is gone, so I guess oh I that's guess true. Still trying to make it work. Mm-hmm. He went to Europe or something for a few months. That's right. Yeah. Um, so she just went right back to Peter, I guess. Um, I do love this too. I love how arrogant Johnny is, and he always thinks he's all this hot stuff and. Um, but he doesn't know that Peter <laughs> isn't impressed at all and actually doesn't like the Human Torch very much, so it kind of backfires on him. My and favorite, he walks- my favorite part is the thought bubble where he says, "This I didn't expect." <laughs> <laughs> he walks away thinking that Peter is a big zero. Like that's the wrong takeaway. Peter just stood up to you, and and you think that why why would why would Dory even date this guy? What's what's she seeing him? Yeah, it's the wrong lesson. Yeah. Um, page eight. Let's see. Well, he breaks some stuff because he's mad about Betty. Because she, uh, she is so broken at this point. Like, like this character is not redeemable for me anymore. You know? Right. Like, my God, one drop of that, one drop of something, and she just crumbles and walks away. And then he tries to explain. And she's like, "No, there's nothing. Forget it." And then later, she's like, "You know, I'll just call him." And maybe I'm wrong. And then Aunt May answered, and she's just like, "Oh, he's not here." That's all. That's all she says is, "Oh, he's not here." And she's like, "What a fool I was! Of course he's not there. He's out with another woman." And it's like, "No, he could be at Radio Shack. We don't know." Like, calm down, Betty. You're just a, a, like a frayed nerve at this point. On the one hand, I feel like she has seen him out with other women, and so she has reason to be upset. Mm-hmm. And like. They don't have the chance to like get some solid ground under them between stories. On the other hand, there's time passing between these stories. So theoretically, she and Peter are seeing each other and she should be able to get past it. Also, she totally dated a boy just to get back at Peter. So if he is suspe- suspected to be out with somebody, she needs to like, you know, 
stop calling the kettle black. Right. Well, but she was only doing that to make him upset in the first place, and it didn't work. So she's oh. just she's just all kinds of bonkers, I guess. She Peter is not good for her. She needs to just cut and move on and find someone stable and get over it. You know. And then Peter's like, I will make Johnny jealous. I'm going to go see Dory right now. Yeah, which is a horrible thing to do when you're supposedly like into Betty and feeling bad that Betty thinks that you're a womanizer. Like, why go over and womanize? Right. Yeah. How would he feel if Spider-Man? What's right. funny is that like Dory throughout this hates Spider-Man. Like Spider-Man does not make a good impression on Dory. And this is the second bad impression he's made on Dory. Like, what if... Actually, what, third. What if... Betty, or what if Peter was mad that Betty was seemingly with another guy, and then he stormed off, and then Betty's like, well, I'm going to go make some other guy jealous then, and she goes to hit on the other guy. Like, Peter would hate that, right? Like, if we flip this? Yeah. So, he's just being a kind of a cad here, in a way, but whatever. Yeah. Spider-Man, he's your hero. I don't get it. Anyway. <laughs> and, and then the Beatles shows up and he's all like, you know, trying to be cool. He's like, my wings are offensive weapons because they're big sheets of metal that I can smack into your face. They shouldn't make me fly. They're really, really hard. I think like that's the theme of this issue is underestimating Spider-Man because first we got Johnny like thinking he can pick on Peter. And then we got the Beatle here thinking like, I'll make short work of him so I can get back to my real plan. Of taking on the Human Torch. It's like, um, you realize that Spider-Man is a horribly formidable opponent, and this is going to take you a long time. But he didn't think so. He thought he'd just throw him against a tree and move on. But it didn't work out. That didn't work out. Page 11 is definitely worth a giggle or two. Oh, yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Dory calls Johnny for help, and he's like, no, <laughs> you can't trick me into breaking my promise. Right? Called, like, the whole, uh, I don't know. I don't know what parable that is, but it reminds me of something. Um, yeah. And then it's just kind of a big fight after that but kind of a big fight and like you said betty makes the phone call it's just like oh betty gosh what are you doing oh um, jay jonah jameson is in this too that i brushed over but oh he's just there to make her feel bad too like oh he's looking for peter and that made her think about peter so that's pretty much his whole role in this yeah that's all he does yeah um and and then you know human torch and spider-man fight because apparently they're still not friends even though when spider-man was a coward human torch kind of felt like he was trying to be friendly to him but I guess it's back to being, uh, you know, not that. Right. Well, I had a couple of thoughts on the end of the story here. Okay. There's a li- there was a little bit that I was trying to unpack. Um, so Spider-Man was going to go try to make a move on Dory. So I guess it's kind of a good idea that that didn't work out because she's obviously not a fan of Spider-Man. Uh-huh. Uh, she has seen him three times now. She saw him when he crashed her beach party. Uh-huh. She saw him whenever he was showing off at the Spider-Man fan club and ran off like a scaredy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she's seen him here fighting the beetle outside of her house and, like, tearing up her living room. Yeah, breaking through her walls, yeah. Right. Also, Torch is being just a bit weird towards Spider-Man after all the experiences they've had together before this. He's like, um, we've no proof, Dory. He, he did help me catch him, um, you know, whenever Dory's, like, stay away from Spider-Man. So I don't know if he's just, like, soft-gloving his girlfriend and, like, trying to sort of halfway take her side. He's... I feel like he wouldn't actually be this suspicious of Spider-Man at this point. It's like hard to say, Dory. Sometimes I think he's really a terrific guy, and other times I want to knock his block off. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But it is Johnny we're talking about who's immature and a hothead and probably likes to impress his girlfriend. So, 
I can see he this like reaction. And Spider-Man's being weird here because he doesn't actually say a word to them. He has this weird <laughs> moment of freaking out and then he just jumps up and leaves. So they're kind of like, um, that was weird. Yeah. So like bottom of page 19 is like crouching by the webbed up beetle. They say, and then they just watch him like, like silently growl at his fists. <laughs> right. Yeah. Shake and his fists. And swing away. And, and they're just like, away. um, okay. Right. That was, that, that was weird. Yeah. Um, there's a really great uh, pinup of Spider-Man from mm-hmm. Ditko in the back of this. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Really great lighting effects with the coloring. Um, like the reversed black on red becomes red on black. It's pretty great. But that's all, man. I don't know. Like, this is a, this is a fun story, but I guess... It's not one of the standout Spider-Mans, but it, it has its fun parts. I guess if you like the Beatle, then, then this is where he transitions. Yeah, that's like the biggest takeaway, I guess. I mean, this is 1964. It's all about Beatlemania. Right. They're, he's spelling it wrong, but yeah. Or they are. You know, well, okay, so I did not realize until like a freaking adult that the Beatles had their spelling, not because they were British or because they were weird or because it was the 60s, but it's the word beat. Right. Like like a music beat in the right. word Beatles, and I didn't get it for like 50 years. Did you see that movie, um, That Thing You Do? I did. And they're trying to call themselves The Wonders, but they spell it... Oh, oh my o- gosh, O-N-E. that's a jab at that, isn't it? That's a jab at that. So everybody called them the Oneaters until they finally, the manager's like, let's just spell it normal and then you'll be the Wonders. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you yep. do that thing you do. Yep. Tom Hanks movie. It's good stuff. Good, he wrote good, that. Good stuff. Breaking my heart into a million pieces. Mm-hmm. Like Strange Tales tends to do. <laughs> Oh, so we are ready yes. for torch? Yes, we are ready. Strange Tales 129. Uh-huh. Um, no, we didn't leave Doctor Strange out of this issue. We just didn't have room for him on the cover. They decided not to do a split cover. They just have um, Torch and the Thing up against the terrible trio because we wanted those guys to come back. This is their freaking third appearance. Well, the trio. Terrible trio. Uh, I guess three and, squared is nine. All three of them are terrible. So it's mm-hmm. not clever. The Human Torch and the Ever-Loving Beetle. Story by Stan Lee, as if you didn't know. Penciling by Dick Ayers, as if anyone cares. Inking by Frankie Ray, which I think is an old name of Frank Jacoya, oh, as okay. if it matters. And lettering by Art Simek, as if things aren't bad enough. Okay. So the terrible trio busts out of prison because in the Marvel universe, busting out of prison is one of the easiest things to do. Mm-hmm. So the thing hears about it and calls Johnny on the phone. This is before cell phones. So Johnny does not have his phone on him. In fact, he does have a little like receiving device. that's beeping at him from his golf clubs because the torch is out playing golf only it's not like he's like a super duper golf person. He thinks he is, but he doesn't do well. He like shoots the golf ball with fire because he's peeved at it. Mm-hmm. So he hears the things call coming in. He goes and picks up the phone. It's like, yo, thing, what's up? And things like, hey, the terrible trio busted out. He's like, what's up? This is better than golf. And he flies away. And he's like, they've got to find them. I've got to find the terrible trio. And he reminds us that one of them is uh, a yogi. He can do like a flying carpet and magic tricks. One of them is a uh, handsome Harry. He is like a con man. He can hear stuff. And the other one is a strong man named Bull Brogan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're flying, but he runs out of um, flame. So he lands. 
but the terrible trio sees him land and Yogi flies over him with his flying carpet and lassos him like Montana and strings him up against a uh, against a, 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 a train light or something. So he flames on because, you know, he has his flame back again, but the lasso is made of asbestos, so he cannot break free. Um, but he starts to, uh, he, he melts through what he's being attached to, like he's attached to a, a trail, a, a light. So he melts through that, and he does, even though he's still wrapped up in rope, he can fly into the air. So Bull... Since they're by a train track, he picks up one of the rails of the track and bends it into a fishing hook shape, hooks the lasso, and now the torch is flying this uh, his ropes on a hook with the, all three of the terrible trio hanging onto it. And this is totally not ridiculous at all. Um, Yogi pulls <coughs> his magic carpet, saves the guys. Um, the thing... Starts going out there because the torch puts his flare gun in the air. The thing has his part of the fantastic car. The uh, the terrible trio go after the thing. Um, they knock out the human torch and put him on a train track so he can die or something like that. Uh, there's more fighting. The thing is also tied to the train tracks. The train is coming. The terrible trio are like, oh, no, the two Fantastic Four are going to die. I can't look. Thing puts his feet in the air, kicks the train like backwards and um then johnny wakes up and they're in the car and the terrible trio are tied up on the hood of the car and he's flying them back to the police and it's all over so the one thing i like about this is i kind of like the way they ended it it was like except for the part where the train doesn't just completely get destroyed but like they do this weird out of time thing where mm-hmm. to make it more cinematic or something like the train's coming and coming and it's going to run the thing over. And even the bad guys are like doing the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil faces. And, you know, his feet hit it and it's womb. And then it just cuts to them in the fantastic car and Johnny waking up going, what happened? And the bad guys tied up and then it explains what happened, which was kind of neat. I don't know why. Just told out of order like that. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of kind of caught me off guard it's like wham and then suddenly like whoa i just woke up yeah and i also like that when the thing showed up they're not really that much of a terrible trio anymore because what the heck can they do to him nothing the only reason they were a problem for him is because he kept trying to save johnny and they kept getting in his way but really they weren't hurting him at all right when johnny starts out playing golf (laughs) i'm like ugh. okay we've got bowling we've got volleyball Uh, we've got football we've got golf it plays everything yeah, but to be fair, I don't think he likes golf because I right because Dory I think is dragging him onto this, and I could see Dory being from like a golfing family or something because you know the dad owns a garden store, so that makes sense. But yeah, Johnny is not so patient with the golf because when he doesn't swing right, he just blows it up. And then Dory's like a gentleman like Peter Parker would never lose his temper like that. And I'm like, nice Dory, good move. Yeah, I can't believe they uh, they referenced that. That was kind of interesting. Yeah. See, we, it's a good thing we read them in that order, right? Right. Good thing. Or you could read it in this order and then be like, oh, I want to go read Spider-Man number 21 now. They said it doesn't refer- it does it, does it reference... Yeah, it says it okay. the, in the caption. Good old days, back when they referenced everything. So at one point, the torch does actually burn through the asbestos lassos. I did it. I melted the asbestos ropes. I'm free. Um, so I did some looking. Ready for some chemistry? Yes. Asbestos is very heat resistant. That's mm-hmm. its appeal. Right. Um, but enough heat 
will break down anything, I think, because you're just pumping energy into those molecular bonds and eventually they're going to become free. Um, so if we get into like the hundreds of degrees, then depending on the type of asbestos, we're talking like 500 to 1,000 degrees Celsius, which is like one or 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, mm -hmm. then the fibers or the crystals do start to decompose. Mm -hmm. And get this, they result in non-carcinogenic substances. So not only is this accurate that he could eventually melt through it, it's actually good for humans that he did this. Um, there was a process whenever they were getting out of the asbestos out of houses to decompose the asbestos and break it down into non-carcinogenic substances mm. through through heat treatments. Okay. So um, acid is one way. Extreme heat is another way. But yeah, you can treat asbestos and turn it non-evil. It doesn't have the same properties anymore, of course, but it does. It's no longer this like poisonous substance lying around. It, it can't hold Johnny by ropes anymore. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, the only other thing I had about this is that trains don't bounce. No, that would that should just have enveloped his entire body and crushed everybody to death, probably. But assuming he's strong enough to even stop an oncoming train at full speed with his like you know with his kickers, I say he is. But that's just because I think of him as a very strong person. But and I can buy that. But like you stop the front of a train, the back of the train keeps coming. Right, <laughs> right. It's like uh uh uh. What's that movie? Um, Hancock. You ever see that? He stops a train. Right. Like, like crushes and derails the entire thing and everybody screams at him. Um, the other thing I will say, one more thing, and it's just kind of an obvious thing, but why do they keep – they keep talking about Dr. Doom like they're – like he's their master and they need to impress him. And they keep going after the Human Torch even though they lose time and time again. Why can't they just leave it alone and go do something else? They're weird. Yeah. Um I they? don't know if they realize that Dr. Doom just isn't around anymore and like, doesn't care them. He's not returning their call. <laughs> he he banished them or something when he didn't need them anymore, didn't he? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah. So, I don't know. What's the loyalty there? But anyway. Yeah. How many more stories do we have of this? Come on. That's our thing now. We have to count. Six? <laughs> yeah. Five? We have six from the end. Six from this the is, end. This is the six from the end. So, we have five more. Five more. Lucky number five. All right. Okay. You ready? Yep. Beware Tiboro, the tyrant of the sixth dimension. Yes. This is edited by Stan Lee, not written, and his magic typewriter. Script by Don Rico and his mystic fountain pen. Illustrated by Steve Ditko and his miraculous lead pencil. Lettered by Sam Rosen and his melancholy pen point. Okay. Okay. So I need to talk about, before we get into this uh, synopsis, mm -hmm. I went to Dragon Con. Okay. Uh-huh. And while at Dragon Con, I got to talk to Roy Thomas. Nice. And we are going to put up a little mini episode with the little teeny tiny interview I got with him on the feed. But separate from the interview in a panel, I said, hey, y'all remember those first few issues of Doctor Strange where his his physical appearance looked very different? Any of you ever get, into, get a word from Steve Ditko on why he was changed and was he intended to look Asian at the beginning? And Roy's like, I know exactly what you're talking about. And he did look different at the beginning. And it was kind of what we would consider Asian features. Um, interesting about Steve Ditko is no one, none of us have ever gotten to talk to him. Oh. <laughs> so, um, so just more speculation. So, yeah. But it is at least verified that – you know, other people out there, especially people who are in the biz, mm -hmm. have had this thought process before. And Roy Thomas went to the exact same previous story from a couple years earlier that we talked about, 
where like this this Caucasian American goes and studies the mystic arts and like gets his physical features changed as a result and becomes Dr. Droom, I think. Um, and, uh, turns into basically an Asian looking man because of studying magic. Okay. So yeah, that story and Roy Thomas is like, yeah, I don't know what they were thinking when they did that, but that's what they did. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like doing that story definitely informed the Dr. Strange story Mm -hmm. and that like, maybe, maybe the origin story where he looks like an American, uh, looks like a Caucasian person. Um, and then as an Asian person in the modern, you know, quote unquote, present day stories that maybe Steve Ditko was, uh, was, ex- was kind of implying the same kind of transformation. Hmm. Just backwards. Which is, yeah. Well, he starts out as a Caucasian in the origin story. Oh, I see. Yes. But the origin right. story wasn't published like the fifth or sixth story. So you, you have this very different looking Dr. Strange in the origin compared to the stories before and after. Mm-hmm. So if Steve Ditko was thinking about it along the same lines as that previous story, that makes it kind of problematic, like even more. Um, but whatever the case, he eventually dropped the idea and changed the way Dr. Strange looks. Right. So yeah, that's there. That happened. Um, I'm not the only one who thinks that Doctor Strange looks Asian in the first stories. Why it's there and why it changed, those are the only questions. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, also, Roy Thomas is pretty nice. Doctor Strange is walking around town, and everyone's like, whoa, that's Doctor Strange. And the news is like, hello, we are scientists. And we believe in nothing but the empirical, empirically... Um, understood evidence. We can see it, taste it, touch it, measure it. That's real. Magic is bunk. And we have invited Dr. Strange onto our show to help him prove his magical abilities. Oh, look, he didn't show up. I guess Dr. Strange is a ninny. So they have this, um, this like little idol, this little jade idol inside a bell jar. And they're like, yeah, this is a supposedly mystical object. That supposedly, if someone, like, upsets this god, then, like, bad things will happen. And as they're talking about it, poof, all the power goes out in the room. Like, their TV broadcast cuts out because the power goes out. Lights come back on and the three scientists are gone. And the little jade giant, uh, jade idol of Taboro is just still sitting there. So Doctor Strange gets a phone call. Um... We think the people who don't believe in magic guess just got magicked away. It's like, <laughs> I will be there. Come to me, cloak of levitation that I got last issue. It is now red instead of yellow. And he wears it. He floats across town. He goes to the TV station. And um, he's able to shine his eye of his all-seeing eye of Agamotto. And he sees that the people were sucked into a portal generated by the idol. So he puts a force field around the idol so that this can't happen to anybody else. He makes his own portal, talks to the ancient one. The ancient one is like, yes, that's Toboro. He's ready to invade the regular world. You have to go stop him. So Doctor Strange makes a portal. He says, Toboro. And Toboro's like, look at me. I have a very cool hat. <laughs> and um, basically they can't use magic for some reason. So they start punching each other out. And... Um, Doctor Strange is losing the physical fight, so he sends his cloak of levitation around Taboro to like wrap him around his face in the back. Anyway, there's I guess they can use magic. I don't know why they were punching, but they they start magic magicking each other, and um, eventually um, Doctor Strange puts a force field around Taboro's magic wand that he uses for his powers, 
And Boro's like, huh, I guess you are strong. I guess I should leave you alone. Okay, never mind. And Doctor Strange makes him free the prisoners. He takes them all back to the regular world. And he erases their memories so that they can never know that magic is real. Because if people know that magic is real, they'll want to get on trains and go to Hogwarts and all this other stuff. They'll start running their uh, shopping carts into um, subway train pillars. And it's going to be horrible. So um, he erases all their memories and goes home. That's yep. Yeah, he looks like Doctor Strange now. Yes, this is like full-on Doctor Strange. He's got the white streaks in his hair. He's got the cloak of levitation with the two horns on it. Mm-hmm. He's got his eye amulet. He is Doctor Strange. He is Doctor Strange. And people seem to know who Doctor Strange is, so he's making a name for himself somehow. Well, like on the one hand, he's just like a dude who lives in, in Greenwich Village. Uh-huh. But so they, evidently they, people see him. They see him as a representative of magic. I guess look at the outfit, but like to the point where they want to invite him onto this TV show to prove that magic is real. So he's out in public now. He's not like just some mysterious. It used to be like if someone asked for him for help, they knew about him from the underground or the secret whispers or right, the whatever. Whispers. And now it's like reporters. Hey, Doc Strange, you going to go on that show? No. And I kind of love that the world is like curious for more about Doctor Strange. Like, what is all this going on here? But the the people on the TV show are so like the debate me culture on Twitter these days. Mm-hmm. Like, if someone won't deign to argue with me, they must not know what they're talking about. Because obviously, I'm cool enough to argue with if you know what you're talking about. They're like, well, we have to inform you that Doctor Strange has not accepted our invitation to appear on this sh- panel. Therefore, we reject him. <laughs> authority of the world of the supernatural it's like wow just because he didn't want to go on your tv show okay and i love how dr strange who by the way is portrayed on the marvel cinematic universe as a butterfly honey patch <laughs> um i like how he talks to his cape like it's a person yeah on page three he's like um Come, treasured gift of the ancient one. The world has need again of our occult powers and the cape is like <laughs> yeah yeah let's go let's go <laughs> I like that, too, because that's kind of an MCU thing, but I didn't realize that it was a comic book thing. I don't know Doctor Strange enough. I didn't know he talked to his cape. At some point in this fight, the cape, like, saves his life by wrapping around the bad guy's arms while Doctor Mm -hmm. Strange is blind. So it does have, like, a life of its own kind of thing, and I never realized that. I thought that was a movie invention. It's kind of cool. Um, Let's see. There was a thing on page, I think it's seven. No, six. Mm Mm-hmm. Page six, one, two, three. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he's fist fighting a demon. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there was that one time that Doctor Strange got to a fist fight with a demon. It's just like, <laughs> it's such a weird thing for Doctor Strange to do. Well, he says something like the wand is really powerful. And so he uses a spell of suggestion to have him put it down. And the guy's like, an odd urge bids me to battle without my electroplasmic wand. Right. But then you think, okay, good. Now he has the advantage. But Doctor Strange, being the hero that he is, is like, well, if he doesn't have the advantage, I'm not going to have the advantage. And he takes his cape off, even though the whole point of putting the wand down was to have the advantage. And then they get into a weird fist fight. And you're right. After that, they start doing magic again. So I don't know what the fist fight's for. And without his cloak, he seems to be like, like much weaker than he was until last Tuesday. Like, (laughs) he's like, without my cloak, I'm at a fatal disadvantage. I'm like, dude, you have not been cloakless all this time. No, you've never needed the cloak before. So, but then the one thing Dr. Strange does I don't like is when he gets moralistic on page eight at the beginning, he says his magic is strong, but mine is the magic of good against evil. Let the spells of Taboro disband. Mm-hmm. I survive, monstrous one. The omnipotent force of righteousness is stronger than the powers of evil. 
And I'm like, no, that's not how the world works. Well, we don't know how magic works, though, because our world doesn't have any. Oh, is, that's true. Is there good magic and bad magic? He calls his magic black magic. That sounds bad to me. But well, I just think like, like good doesn't win against evil just because good wins against evil. Like that's not how the world oh, works. If that, well. if, if that were, if that were the situation, that like evil would always like yeah. I it'd feel be a much nicer place. It feels like more like one of those um, light side versus dark side Jedi conversations for some reason to mm-hmm. me like your your bad force is not as good as my awesome force my good force even though in my mind it's kind of like i think it's just the force is the force and it's all about intention but that's a whole nother podcast uh, i'll go with you on that one by the way yeah so is there really good and bad magic or is it just what you do with it and if it's just what you do with it then is one inherently more powerful than the other or is it all the same magic everybody's using i don't know i don't either i don't either <laughs> Um, whenever he wipes the minds of the newscasters at the end, I was mm-hmm. reminded of the Spider-Man mind wipe that he does years later. Mm-hmm. So speaking and of moral, uh huh, is that moral? Yeah, I don't know. He like made them forget everything. I mean, that's like, is that his call? I it's guess. a weird call to make. I mean, I guess they're no worse off not knowing what they already didn't know. But it's like you're tampering with people's minds without their permission, and you're supposed to be a good guy. I don't know. It made me think anyway. I wasn't sure if it was right or wrong, but. It reminds me. Um, no, no, I already said that. So how long do you think it will take them to realize that they're missing like a half hour of their lives? Pretty and, like, quick, try, you think. They try to keep on doing the show, but like suddenly the broadcast window is closed. And they're like, how do we lose all of our time? How do we lose our time? <laughs> We're in the wrong slot. What's going on? Right. Yeah. I thought it was in the Dan slot. <laughs> Sorry. I see what you Sorry. did there. That was terrible. Um. So next issue, Doctor Strange is going to go serial. Um, Steve Ditko starts weaving a narrative that runs all the way to the end of his time on the book. And most people refer to this run as the Eternity Saga. So he starts doing what he's doing in the Hulk, essentially. Yes, essentially. Yeah. Um, Well, that's fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. I've read it through once before. I'm looking forward to reading it through again, seeing what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, you said, ha, 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 you said that's fantastic. Right. And I dropped the segue. That means it's time for Fantastic Four. <laughs> Number 35. Wow. Have we said that all of these are coming out on one on November whatever? Um, November 10th. November 10th is when these are coming out. This is the last November thing we're going to do, right? Yes. Right now. And then we'll talk about November. But let's see if this is the one that wins it. Because it does say, wow, exclamation point on the cover. And it says, have we got a treat for you? Calamity? On the campus, enough said. Dun dun dun. Um, it's called Calamity on the Campus. The fanta- the fabulous Fantastic Four run into Calamity on the Campus, introducing the sinister surprise of the year: Dragon Man, plus a great guest villain from out of the perilous past. Great. Eh. Okay. Adequate script by Stan <laughs> Lee, satisfactory art by Jack Kirby, passable inking by Shick Stone, and sufficiently lettered by Artie Simek. Reed Richards is going back to college, his old Alamo, his, uh, you know, where he graduated. Also where the thing graduated, but they're focusing a lot more on Reed about it because Reed's there to do an acceptance speech and he's a brilliant guy and the thing just was good at football, I guess. Anyway, so they land and there's that whole business that, that seems to happen the few times that this has happened where they land and like, you know, Johnny is crossing his arms because Reed has all these women around him wanting his autograph and all the guys want to look at Invisible Girl before she disappears and you know the thing is dealing with luggage Um, they get 
shuffled around by the dean, I guess. Um, at some point, they come across this guy in a wheelchair who's bald and behind him is being pushed by a guy with Ruby Quartz glasses, introduces Professor X and some guy named Scott. Um, I guess they were checking out whether someone was a mutant and it didn't pan out. So just a cameo there for all you X-Men collectors. Um, and then Johnny sees like this crazy ominous shadow and he calls the group over. Hey, come on, check this out. Turns out some professor guy, Professor Gilbert, has created this giant dragon man thing. Um, it's like just a statue kind of, but the way they describe it, it seems like it's more than that somehow, but I'm not really sure. The Dean is upset about it. Like we told you not to do your crazy sculpture experiments here on our time. And he's like, oh, shucks. Sorry. Um, but Reed thinks it's weird and ominous and has a weird life energy. Anyway, cut to, uh, 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 Transylvania and as you do, as you do. And guess who's there? Um, um, I forget his name. Diablo. Remember Diablo who got like, I don't know, his castle got destroyed on him and he was stuck? Well, he just unstuck himself and decides he wants revenge on the Fantastic Four and he has like a pill that lets him teleport. Because remember, he's not actually a bat or a magician. I think he just had a lot of science. He pill stuff or something. He's also red now. I'm pretty sure he wasn't last time. But anyway, he teleports to the Fantastic Four because he's got a pill for that. Um, um more cameo, just one more. Uh, the thing and Human Torture walking around, and and they spot Peter Parker, who uh, you know the Human Torch now knows. Wow, that's the theme of this show. All three issues are all about Peter and Johnny's animosity. Peter is scouting whether he wants to go to this college. They have a little, you know, back and forth. Then it cuts to football, and while that's going on. Um, Sue sees what she thinks is someone that looks Diablo-like, but she can't quite place it. She tries to follow, but he gets away. Diablo finds the scientist guy that has this weird dragon thing that he created. And Diablo's like, I can make this thing come to life with this pill or whatever. Or no, here's the part I don't get. There's like some sort of weird alien stone thing that this, this scientist has that somehow is related to this dragon man statue that he has. And so... They zap it, and Diablo uses his weird serum stuff, and um, it brings Dragon Man to life. And the thing is, like, there in the nick of time to not quite stop them. And so the Dragon Man comes to life. Diablo says, kill that thing for me. The Dragon Man does. He picks up the thing and tosses him through the window, and, you know, he's out of commission for a little while. Dragon Man then flies throughout campus. Um, He outflames Johnny with his fire-breathing mouth. Um, Richards, Reed Richards and Sue Storm try and take him on with stretchy and invisible powers. At some point, the thing also joins in the fight again. Johnny's out of it, though. Um, and then, like, off camera, sort of, Diablo throws a gas canister at them. Apparently, it freezes their body. Luckily, Johnny wasn't around because he shows up and with his heat power brings them back to life. Um, oh, that was an important key factor I totally just passed over. Um, just before Diablo threw that thing at them, um, Sue decided that the Dragon Man wasn't as bad as he seemed. Like, at one point, they give him a really good wallop, and he gets up and looks pathetic. So she's like, you know, hey, big guy, the sun's coming lo- coming down low or whatever, and tries to, like, <laughs> tries to Black Widow him. And it is working. And that's when Diablo throws this gas capsule, and it makes – them all unconscious and they don't know where dragon man is when they wake up someone on the campus tells them where he is he's like at this lake 
uh, and Diablo and the scientists are there. The scientist is really upset that he's like helped create this Dragon Man thing that's causing all this chaos. He didn't really mean for that to happen. Diablo, of course, is like trying to tell the Dragon Man, you know, you will do my bidding and blah, blah, blah. Um, but turns out, no, Dragon Man was really smitten with uh, Invisible Woman after all. So the Dragon Man turns on Diablo, tackles him into the lake. The lake is frozen over. Um, thing jumps in after them, but it turns out inside the lake are these crazy, like, suck hole caves or something like that. So he can't find where they went. Reed Richards has to save him. The professor that started all this is looking all guilty and says, I'll just stay here in case Dragon Man ever comes back. But I don't know where he is. Nobody knows where he is. Nobody knows where Diablo is. So then it cuts the end. Everybody leaving um, Thing and Johnny are looking for Reed and Sue, but they've, like, run off to do this like lover's lane thing and he's like look my love there's this flower-shaped heart and anybody who professes their love inside that heart will someday be married and she's like oh i've been waiting for you to take my hand for years he's like really you've liked me this whole time she's like yes of course i have i mean i wasn't always sure but yes i totally do and now i think maybe they're either engaged or talking about being engaged it kind of leaves it a little vague so we'll see the end yeah yeah, he doesn't actually propose there, but next issue they're engaged. So, yeah, because he says, well, according to tradition, any couple who holds hands and kisses while standing before it will marry within a year. And she's like, I've been waiting for you to take my hand. So that sounds like that's it, right? It sounds like uh, it's like awkwardly phrased, but yeah, they're they're together yeah. now. It's it's a it's a really weird scene. And, you know, let's do this to the end before the beginning. It's a really weird scene both on its own and in the context of the rest of the comic, because it really does sound like neither one of them ever, ever knew that the other one liked them. Right. It's like, usually when you date someone a while, you talk about marriage and things. Right. And they've been doing social stuff. They've mm-hmm. been like swimming together. And like, I Going, mean, that's not, they go on vacation. They go on vacation together. Just the two of so them? Yeah. It feels like they've been romantic for a while now. Certainly in my head, I have thought of them as definitely a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, early in the show, I was playing with the idea of the thing liking her and her, you know, having broken up with with Reed because of the Fantastic Four powers causing her to break off the, um, you know, the engagement, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That was all just kind of some fun headcanon. But- in the book, they've been together for a while now. Well, there was also the namer factor. Yes. And there was also many a times when at some point she didn't want to say what she was really thinking. And he would have thought bubbles like, oh, she really likes namer and not me. Um, and I don't know if they ever really resolved that. But they certainly have also dated. We've seen yes. that. So I don't know. It is kind of weird. And it is tacked on. And I guess like when you think about the Fantastic Four and the wedding issue and stuff, it's kind of weird that this – little paste on at the end is what starts that right it's not a very big event because that is the next annual i mean it's been a little while since we had annual two the next annual is the wedding Mm -hmm. and i think annual four they find out they're pregnant and annual five they have the baby oh wow spoiler spoilers and then divorce (laughs) that's the next logical step right right (laughs) they stop doing annuals at that point just to make (laughs) sure that doesn't happen Um, so it turns out that State U is not a real university. Okay. And so for the record, neither is Empire State U. Okay. 
Those are both false universes. If anybody out there was unsure, I just want to clarify that. Not that either one of us has ever thought they might be real universities. I didn't even think to look it up. So good idea. Yeah. 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 I totally spent my entire childhood thinking the Empire State University was real. Well, I mean, this is supposed to take place in New York City, so they could use real things, but... Right? Yeah. Josh and Don made so much fun of me. <laughs> oh, because you covered this for Spider-Man? Yes, yes. We got uh, we got to the Empire State University mentions in Spider-Man. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, so they're here for Reed to give a guest lecture, right? Yep. So why do they have luggage? Are they staying? I don't know. That's a lot of are luggage. They staying? Yeah, are they staying overnight or for a weekend or something just because he's going to give a guest like I mean, it's the city. They could like subway over, do the lecture, and go home. Well, they also have the fantastic car. It probably takes them two seconds to get there. Yeah, I don't know either. Right. Maybe they just wanted to hang there stay at the old dorm. I don't know. These cameos are interesting because they don't really service the story at all, but they're just like, let's slap these guys in here. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that feels both gratuitous and making the universe feel like a whole. Like, it makes sense that Xavier might be here looking for a mutant. I mean, I don't really know how he would think there was a mutant and there wasn't really a mutant, or what it means that they're not true mutants. So that's the thing. I want I want the last two panels on this story to be an X-Men story now. Like, can we have that? The whole the whole story? What is a true what are they thinking these dudes are? What are these dudes if they're mutant enough to come? Check them out, but they're not true mutants. They must be something. They are are something. Who are they? Are they like in their room right now, like creating lights with their toes or what? Like, I don't know. I'm interested and we're never going to find out. It's going to be a mystery till the end of our days. I am so sorry, Michael. Oh, well, maybe someone, Brian Michael Bendis or Kurt Busiek will come in and make a thing out of it. They'll shed light (laughs) with their toes. (laughs) They'll they'll do a whole like six part (laughs) miniseries about these two panels. Um, so, yeah, Johnny's like, these women are not interested in a high school kid. And I'm just like, for once, you are exactly right, Johnny. Yeah. Um, I don't understand. I still hate Diablo. So I'll just gloss right over that unless you have something to say. Diablo's stupid. Number four, page four. He escapes. Mm-hmm. Whatever. But I don't understand the Dragon Man block of alien block thing and how it's related and works. I don't get it. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. this there's this block of alien outer space stuff that's priceless. It's in a square shape like a board cube, and somehow that's related to the sculpture of Dragon Man. That by the way, he talks about how he put built-in reactors and stuff to emit flame from the statue, but it's just a statue. So what are you talking about? It's weird. I don't get it. It's supposed I to be a robot. I actually hadn't realized that the Dragon Man came from this block. Is that what happened? How come the block still looks intact then? Does it? Okay, maybe it didn't come from this block. I don't know. But at some point when they're trying to make Dragon Man alive, they have this Kirby cosmic device shooting into the block. And that's- oh, because he's, try- he's trying to find the, the hidden life force within the block, and then he channels that out and into Dragon Man. So it's completely unrelated then. Um, well, no, it, it, that, that's how Dragon Man gets animated. Well, I know, but I mean, like, it's two separate things. It's not like they're connected. Like, like I have this alien block that I haven't been studying because I'm busy dealing with my Dragon Man sculpture, but let's use the alien block to put in your Bunsen beaker to then animate the Dragon Man. Is that how that's working? Okay, this is weird because I'm looking at page 10. Mm-hmm. Me too. He said earlier, let me get his phrasing from earlier. He said he's going to reduce it to its basic atomic structure in an effort to discover the basic life force, which might be hidden within. So he's basically removing the, es- the life essence from the space cube 
into like a Kirby vat of Hoosie Wutzis uh-huh. and is, 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 um, what's his name? Diablo. Is Diablo using that to make his potions? I guess, but in which case, what do we need Diablo for? I don't know. Right. That's weird. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that that actually gels pretty well. I think that the art shows like three different things happening and I don't mm-hmm. really know how they're all connected. Yeah. So I guess I just read through that and just was like, okay, well, something animated Dragon Man, the end, I guess. Some, I don't know. That, that's kind of what you have to do because it yeah. does not really make a lot of sense. Yeah. I love this whole bit with page 11 and 12 where basically Dragon Man picks up the thing and tosses him out the window. I don't know why. It's like there's eight panels of the thing flying through the campus, hitting into trees and buildings and stuff. And he's not asleep or anything. He's just like talking about what a revolt and <laughs> development it is as he's flying through the air. Uh, Heads up, tree. This will yeah. only hurt for a minute. <laughs> I liked all that. That was good stuff. That's pretty great. I want to know how um, How did Diablo know um, – on page eight, he says, I have learned of your lifeless creature and the powers it would possess if it lived. Not only does he, how could you know I haven't publicized it, but how would he know having lived centuries ago and been stuck in a hole until two pages ago? How does he know where the Fantastic Four even are? He says he takes a miraculous pill. Um, oh, miraculous powder. Isn't that his thing? I can't. I remember what his mm-hmm. power. What was his power in the first appearance? Alchemy, like like alchemy to the nth right. degree. He can he can make stuff do anything he wants. But in the first story, it like was always designed to fail. Like the only thing he made that actually worked was his uh, immortality potion. Right. So he's like, and now all I need to do is take a powerful pellet from my glove, and Diablo will strike again. And then he just magically shows up where the FFR and knows all about this professor and the Dragon Man and stuff. Yeah, weird. I don't know how that's supposed to work. I don't know either. But he's stupid, so I just kept reading anyway, because that's about yeah. how good he is. And Reed Richards on page 12 was like, it can only be Diablo. And it's like, <laughs> not Dr. Doom, or the Mole Man, or the Puppet Master. It's like, no. Who all do you know that's like <laughs> controlled, animated like statues with him? It's like, no, this is too bonkers for anybody but Diablo. And then Sue's like, oh yeah, that's the guy I saw in the car. I remember oh, that. yeah. I was there for that. That was much ado about nothing also. Like that whole scene of her chasing him around in a car and not succeeding in finding him. Mm-hmm. It was like page filler. But anyway. Page 15. Um, read, even if Diablo is responsible, how did he do it? How could he breathe life into a lifeless creature? He says, nothing is totally lifeless, darling. Wood, stone, the very earth itself all contain living atoms. Atoms which must have responded to one of Diablo's incredible potions. So I guess that goes and interacts with the with the, with the page we had before. But I kind of like it just on its own. Mm-hmm. Like it's... It's ridiculous, but it's ridiculous in a sci-fi kind of way, you know? It's, like, just plausible enough that if you don't think about it, it makes sense. Like, how would a statue drink a potion? That kind of thought? Yeah, or, like, the <laughs> fact that, like, all matter has, like, life oh, in it. yeah. Yeah. But, yes. How I would mean, a statue drink a potion? They really could have simplified, because if you're just going to make it silly anyway, why not just have Diablo, I don't know, throw a potion out on, drip it on him or something, and he comes to life? That would have been easier. Yeah. Um do you have you had any Dragon Man experience? I, I this is my first time I've read the origin of the Dragon Man, but I know I feel of him. like I feel like later he like becomes a bit of an endearing character that like I I feel like I've seen issues in like the last 10 15 years where he's like wearing glasses and can speak. Oh wow. No, I haven't seen that. But he was in that cool um Roger Stern John Byrne cap run, very short cap run. He, I can't remember who 
unleashed him on Cap, but that's where I first saw him. And I always thought he was a really cool looking character. I just didn't know, you know, his bonkers origin, I guess. But yeah, it, it feels like the sort of thing that could, you could do a lot more with him. Cause right now he's just a statue that got brought to life like Frosty mm-hmm. the Snowman. Yeah. Although he does turn on his master, which I liked. I did like that. He sort of saves the day at the end. Mm-hmm. I did think the panel on page 15, the last panel was pretty shoddy work by Kirby though. I have to say, cause that made me not understand what was going on a little bit. Oh, the gas. Yeah. Like they just have it. So he's succumbing to Sue's charm. And then there's just like this gas thrown at him, but it doesn't show by who. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That was a little sloppy. Kind of weird. Same page. Same page. Sue says on panel four, Everything that lives is responsive to kindness and sympathy. Remember the wolves who cared for Romulus and Remus? Remember King Kong's gentleness towards the helpless girl? <laughs> the fiction? And like, yeah. Sue, those are stories. <laughs> right. Those aren't real. You can't, you can't go up to the giant dragon based on stories. Yeah. I mean, it, to her credit, it works out for her. So, you know. Yeah. No harm, no foul, I guess. But still, it's like. She says something, but that was a bad example. Yeah. 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 Don't do that. Um, and yeah, if I, if I recall correctly, then starting next issue, this book goes into basically continued story mode Mm. and stays that way until after Galactus. So they're just like really getting into that for everybody pretty much. Right. I could be wrong. There may be some breaks in there, but I feel like, like one thing is going to lead into the other, like frightful four, which leads to the inhumans, which leads, you know, it's just like one after the other. Because they were doing that with Thor, although I think maybe that stopped a little bit. We still have the Iron Man dilemma. Hulk is like really blending one into the other to the point where it all just seems like one big story with no beginning or ending, kind of. Yeah, and the uh, the credits of the issue we're going to talk about next episode or in an upcoming episode. I guess it's not next episode, but call it like the the best cliffhanger story in comics. So they they realize that they're doing a um, an ongoing running thing. Yeah, I was gonna say like I think feel like the Hulk. There's got to be a different word than most other people. It really does seem like they're just stopping it when they feel like and picking mm-hmm. it, picking it right back up again <laughs> the next month. So it doesn't have like an arc. It's kind of interesting. It would be an interesting study about the timing of the story and like how it lines up with the timing of other stories. And like if someone were to actually make a oh. timeline that was like sensitive to how many days were going by or whatever. Yeah, because for Hulk, it's been like five minutes, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Has not been that much time. Yeah. Well, that wraps up November, right? Wow. Yeah, we are done with November. I'm really not looking forward to our whole, like, best worst on this month because I'm pretty sure they're all worse. Or a lot then, of them. Then, yeah, a lot of them are. So like, let's let's go down the like, list. We like got um, picking the least worst this month. <laughs> Journey into Mystery 112 had the Mighty Thor Battles the Incredible Hulk mm-hmm. and the Coming of Loki. Tales to Astonish 64 had Atuma kidnapping the Wasp. And also um, Rick Jones telling the world who the Hulk is and the Hulk getting attacked by a horde of humanoids. Mm-hmm. X-Men 9 was the famous and well-regarded and highly important <laughs> Lucifer. Uh-huh. Amazing Spider-Man 21. We talked about this issue. Beetle and Torch. The Avengers 12 was the Mole Man and for some reason the Red Ghost. Oh, God. Yeah. The Fantastic 435 we just did. Dragon Man and um, Diablo. Uh, we're not doing Patsy and Hetty or Rawhide Kid. Sergeant Fury 14 Ugh. was the Blitzkrieg squad of Baron Strucker. Right. 
Strange Tales 129, The Terrible Trio, and then Doctor Strange against Taboro, the Tyrant of the Sixth Dimension. And finally, Tales of Suspense 62 has the origin of the Mandarin. Iron Man finally gets free and goes home, and Captain America did that whole, I'm going to go to the jail cell. Oh no, it's been broken out. Oh no, how are they going to get out of here? Thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, not a great month. <laughs> no. It's been kind of the last kind of miserable episodes, content-wise, the last three or four, seems like. Um, I think I know what my worst is, too, and I'm sort of sad to say, but that Cap story is so stupid. Mm. Like, it just makes no logical sense, like, the minute you think about it at all. So, I think that's my pick. Cap is my worst. Very disappointing. Wow. I know, but it's just really – how is he in – how did he get in when they're trying to get out? Like, that's just basic fail right there. Yeah. It doesn't agreed. make sense. I don't know. It was all stupid. I, um, let's see. As much as Lucifer is awesome, by the way. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So least enjoyed was Cap for my, what was your most enjoyed? I'm going to say Spider-Man because I don't know if it was my favorite Spider-Man issue or anything, but it was kind of neat to see like a, a Spider-Man being co-opted by strange tales i don't know it was interesting yeah i'm actually torn on this one between spider-man and the fantastic four like the fantastic four was pretty good yeah it wasn't bad and spider-man was was and spider-man was good but it wasn't like it, it's not one of the issues that blows me away it's um it's worth saying that this is my first new spider-man story after the 20 i had as a kid oh great so, like not not like um the first one I bought off the stands because that was no. 341. But like as an adult, when I was able to go back and start picking up from 20 and reading forward, 21 is the very next one. So this is the first, you know, new Ditko Spider-Man story for me. So, but it's, it's not really as strong. No, it's not. Cause it's a strange tale story. Yeah. It is a bit of a strange tale story. There are bits that I like. It's not a bad story, but I think I'm going to say fantastic four on this one. Okay. That's good. Yeah. So you'll say cap is the worst and I won't say that Spidey is the best. How's that? Okay. Perfect. Balance. Um, what is my least favorite? There's okay, so many so options. I have, I have a pointless fight between two powerhouses. Uh huh. I have, um, misogyny extraordinaire with the giant man issue. It's not really misogyny. It's just like weak woman tropes. Uh-huh. Um, we have, and the thing that occurred to me, the thing that occurred to me about that issue is that Jan decides to take her life in her hands and leaves Hank uh-huh. and is punished for it by the story. Right. And then in the end is like, I know I can't ever leave you now. Right. Like yeah. That's not cool. Right. Um, th- but then we have the X-Men. Which is Lucifer, which the Avengers are there and the X-Men are like, no, you can't help us stop Lucifer because reasons we can't tell you. Let's fight. Um, it's, so there's a lot of pointlessness to that. Mm-hmm. Um, the Avengers story is kind of annoys. There's, oh, like God. you said, there's a lot to choose from. Yeah. But also Sergeant Fury had the Blitzkrieg squad. And oh, my gosh. Were they, did they even have a point? How about the Mandarin? He's okay, I guess. Actually, that's not so horrible compared to some of the other ones, but the, I don't the think terrible, it, his origin wasn't great. The Terrible Trio is not one of my worst. The Terrible Trio is actually a, a Midland story. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Sergeant Fury is another one in terms of the letdown of the uh, the promise of what the story could have been. Mm-hmm. And then they just totally bail on it. So that's kind of annoying, too. 
I think because I'm invested in the continuity and I know how like pointless this story is going to be, I'm going to go with X-Men. Okay. Um, for yeah. my least enjoyed because it's just it's it's a failure of a story on both the micro and macro level. Yeah, it's a failure of a story that establishes how he's in a wheelchair and they never fix mm-hmm. it. They never change it. That is actually pretty monumentally sad. Okay. So that was a weird month. Very. Let's hope for better next month, shall we? Oh, well, I think I already know that that's going to happen. So, yeah. Let's yeah. hope. Cap has a really important issue next month. But speaking of next month, how about next episode? Next uh, episode. What we got? I got homework for those who want to read along. We've got Journey into Mystery number 113 with the return of the Grey Gargoyle. And, oh, yeah, uh, Don Blake reveals his his secret identity and stuff. No big deal. Daredevil. Number six, it's the return, I want to say, of various characters, but I think for the first time they're together. Um, um, And one of them is some guy named Dr. Fear, I think, something like that. The eel and ox. So, interesting combo. Yeah, for the Fellowship of Fear. Fellowship of Fear, right. And then Tales to Astonish, number 65, we have an all-new giant man with a whole new snazzy outfit. Find out what's new about him besides the outfit. And then we also have the continuing story that we've been talking about that never seems to end or begin anywhere um, of the Hulk fighting things. So that's it for next week. Not the thing. Not the thing, but things like the leader's um, adaptoid things and other things that happen. Communists. He fights communists. Ah, oh, gotta hate those commie bastards. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, we have been followed by many people over the last uh, week or so. In fact, we have passed four hundred followers. Woo! On Twitter, yes, yeah. Um, we have Vige at Crispy Westerosi, a ruin of artificial brain matter, dreaming of sci-fi androids, monstrous comic books, and horror. We have James K. Holly, whose profile says. Whatever. We have Revolution Sports Card at Revolution Cards. Unopened boxes are our specialty. We have Jim and Ange at Jim and Ange Comics. We have Random Geek Culture WV at Random WV Geek. Just a couple of West Virginia boys that like talking about geek culture, games, movies, music, and other fun stuff. They have a podcast. We have Into the Night. At ITK Moon Knight. It's a Moon Knight podcast packed full of loonies. Um, They're prepping for more Moon Knight on the screen as well because that show's coming down the pike. We have Masked Nerd at Nerd underscore Masked. I am Masked Nerd. And I'm a mask wearing comic book nerd and a big fan of movies, video games, binge watching shows. We have BP Monitor at BP Monitor 2. So, this is the future. We have 100% comics at Golden Boy Photo 1. 100% comics. I create art podcasts and deal in comics. We have Space King Bobby, the Bi King of Space. Prepare for trouble. Wow. Double. Wow. And finally, our most recent follower as of this moment is Anna Graham. I'm not going to give her at name because her tweets are protected. But thank you very much, Anna, for following us. And um, yeah. We always appreciate retweets on the Twitters that we post new episodes. Those are uh, very helpful in getting the show into the eyes of your world. Yes, thank you very much. That's awesome. And where can they uh, where can they find us? They can find us makeoursmarvel.com has all the links to all the apps or, you know, whatever you use to play 
podcast with. It also has links to the social medias we're talking about, namely Facebook and Twitter, which you can also find us by just typing Make Ours Marvel on them, and hopefully it works. Um, and then there's also a contact form on the site, or you could just write podcast at makeoursmarvel.com. Send us a letter, comments, criticisms, questions. We do shows called The Mailbag, where we read all of them and comment back. So now's your opportunity. And thank you to JP Delaney for liking us on the Facebook page. You can follow me on Twitter at John Reads Comics. Uh, there you'll find a twi- uh, posted tweet about my other things I got going on, namely at All the Pouches, which is my Image Comics podcast, and at TFUK Podcast is the Twitter feed for my upcoming Transformers UK podcast, where I'm going through all of the UK Marvel Transformers comics and the cartoons that were published along... I'm sorry, the uh, cartoons that were released alongside them. Uh, I also do a tweet blog about the Scarlet Witch. That's at Let's Talk Wanda. So that's out there. And yeah, I guess that wraps us up. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, until next time, or until Steve Ditko gives up drawing the beetle so that he can draw the blue beetle... Make ours marvel. Marvel.